Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Conversations. Thank you, everyone, for joining. We're here with Vanessa and Nate Quigley, who are the co-founders of Chatbooks. How are you guys doing? Awesome. We're good. We're going to chat. Um, you've done this a lot, but we do need the founding story for those that might be new. So whoever wants to take the crack at that, tell us about that. What version? How far back do we want to start? Don't go too far back. Just give no, them the... So some people just think that on, in 2013, we had this idea, boom, off to the races. But it actually started, I would say, 10 years earlier is when we started funneling money off into this dream of creating an easy way for family to hold on to their memories. He was paying developers in Russia, spent like $10,000 for someone to render a 3D jar, which was our logo for a while. This is before Vanessa was involved in helping me make better decisions. <laughs> No, there were years of what we call um, the wilderness years, where we were just percolating what, what actually is a solution that families want for family memories. And um, turns out it's not enterprise software for families. Okay, he had, he had some I'm sure it was. I thought everyone <laughs> wanted to like use SAP to manage their family memories, but you're right, it was not that. And we did actually invest quite a bit of our own money and some angel money in building out that solution. Um, and as I would gather, mostly my friends together as, um, you know, what do you call those groups? Focus groups. To look at what he built, everyone was always really impressed because it was impressive. It was a lot of code. It's big, beautiful, complicated family tree. And people would say, oh, yeah, we should totally do this. We should we should do this. <laughs> that, you guys by the way, the, that is the word of death. Should is should the word is of, death. of death. If you show someone your thing and they say, "That's really cool. I should totally do that," you are going out of business. It's very different from, "Oh, shut up and take my money," which we did here years later. Um, but the next thing that people would say after we should do this is, "Can I get this in a book?" And what was your response? I thought they were. I, did, I, I thought they were confused. But actually, <laughs> I was confused. They did want a book, actually. They weren't just saying it. So, but but with the book inspiration did not come from the focus groups, and it certainly didn't come from me. It came from you. Got to tell a little that little part of the story. Well, I knew that people wanted books, but I don't have the Harvard MBA, so I kept my mouth shut. Okay, and so years later, we even moved our family from Florida, where I grew up, and where I thought we would host all of the wedding receptions in our beautiful home there on the water. Um, we moved to Utah, and I loved. Utah, when we were here at BYU, is where we met. But when we were so ready to leave Utah that we didn't even walk for our graduation. As soon as we were done with our last exam, we packed our car and our baby, and we drove to L.A., and we said, we will never live in Utah again. Um, but we moved to Utah because we had spent a couple years trying to build this thing. It wasn't working. We'd heard a lot of buzz about this you know, startup ecosystem here in Utah, and we're going to build a solution for family memories. We should be in Utah. Like, who cares more about family history and family memories? And so... We moved to Utah. We did. Things still weren't It still happening. wasn't working. You had a dark night one night yes. in the kitchen. Tell us about that. Well, I just had the, the, the typical founding entrepreneur whose business is totally still failing night where you wake up at 3 in the morning and wander around in the kitchen and, like, you know, heat up hot water and stare off blankly into the middle distance. Wait, why were you heating water? I'm confused. I, was, I think I was making myself Maybe some, some tea. Some, yeah, like a... Oh, you were desperate. <laughs> I was really lost. So anyway, so that was, that's the state I was in, which was good because I needed to be humbled at that level to then react properly when you, maybe a couple nights later, a couple weeks later, came downstairs with a kind of like a head of steam. Yeah, so I had had this moment 
we have our youngest son, he's now 15, but when he was getting ready to go to kindergarten, he was the happiest, most cheerful. Um, he's pretty surly now at age yeah, 15, but, but he was, was very, um, we call him Mr. Luscious. He, he was, was very exuberant. Um, but all of a sudden I could hear him just sobbing upstairs. And so I run upstairs expecting to see blood, like something horrible has happened. But no, it was just him in bed holding to his chest a little photo album that his preschool teacher had made for him. She'd taken photos throughout the year of their parties and field trips and whatever and just printed them off at Walgreens, little dollar store album. And he was, he'd been looking at it and he was literally just clutching his chest and he said, Mama, I never want to grow up. And it was dramatic and it was adorable. But it was also like the weight of a thousand, like, oh, mom guilt, right? Like, yeah, it's great. He has this year of his life to hold on to, but because I used to be a scrapbooker, you guys, in the 90s, that was the thing to do. But I had just had my first baby, and I knew it was important for me to document our family story, and so I did it through scrapbooking. And I did it beautifully for Calvin. And a little bit for Lakin. Henry, I think I have your baby book. Um, but the rest of our seven kids, like nothing. And so that weight had been weighing on me. And in that moment, I was like, oh, this is the problem that I need solved. I need those photos that are stuck in my phone. The photos, like even the photos that I've shared on Instagram, because we've moved around a lot and I'm not really good at keeping in touch. But I had an Instagram account where I would, honestly, I would hide in the bathroom to post on Instagram because he felt like it competed with the thing that he was building. He hated Instagram. Um, but I had been using Instagram to share little highlights of our family story. And sometimes I would even lay in bed and scroll through it just as like affirmation that, oh yeah, we're, we're good. Like I'm a good mom. We've done good stuff. Like that was basically my photo album. But if anything, I'm taking all the devices away from Declan. I didn't want to have to hand him my phone to look back on his family memories. But I had in that moment where I'd felt that guilt and my baby is crying and, you know, we've moved our family to Utah and the business wasn't working. An idea that like, can't he just build a way to print my Instagram? And I could, I mean, I couldn't, but the team we had recruited at the time could. So that was, that was actually a pretty amazing moment where you came downstairs like, I don't want to use that. Like I was, you know, probably had some version of it up, you know, at the, at the kitchen table. You're like, I don't want to use that. My sisters don't want to use that. None of my friends want to use that. No one wants to use that thing you're building. But just, can you just print my Instagram? And I, I you know, with the sort of middle distance stare from the night before or a couple of nights before, I was like ready to be, well, okay, actually I think we could do that. That's a great idea. And so we went back into the office the next, you know, the next day and, and, and like it was just me and, and, and four other people. We said, let's just push everything off to the side. Just forget it. Pretend it's not there. So just have a hack week. Let's see if we can print Vanessa's Instagram in a super easy way. And we did. And then her sisters saw it and they literally said, how do I get mine? And I'd never heard that question before. I'd never heard this sort of like, how do I get mine? It was always like the, how can I get out of this conversation? And yeah, I should totally do that. And that was it. That was the beginning of Chatbooks. I love it. There's founding stories and there's founding stories. Uh, a lot there, right? Um, I, f I felt the same way as your five-year-old son many times. And it was maybe a yearbook at the end of like a really fun school year. Like that is now history, right? And um, my wife has been a chat booker for a long, long time. Um, and, I don't know, once a month, instead of story time, we'll pull out a few chat books. And it's like, geez, how lucky are we? How fun was that? Um, you guys are spoiled. <laughs> how, how can we make it so you're not so much spoiled? But it triggers a lot. Yeah. 
it, it's very, very fun. Um, okay, so pivot. And thank goodness you're not doing enterprise software, because like, if you're doing anything with enterprise software, it's like a bad part of your day, right? Like, I got to log into this thing, and yeah, this is way better. Um, okay, so then um, they shouldn't, or I should, turns into how can I get mine? And um, at what point were you guys, all right, we're going to transition into this, and this will be our sole focus, and we're going to start building the team. What was that like? I mean, we, we, it, the, the first, you know, three or four times we actually heard someone say, whoa, how do I get mine? We, we pretty much, I mean, we were so sort of, I think, out of ideas on the other thing at this point that we were all in on that pretty quickly. And, I mean, it was amazing to have a totally different set of problems from, like, okay, we're going to work hard, release this thing, absolutely crickets response, you know, a thousand people download it, one person comes back next week, that kind of that kind of experience for you know for a couple of years with the first thing to we were out of capacity to print the thing to like immediately like we we found an incredible uh, photographer and social media um, talent in in Utah that someone connected us to uh, Heather Mildenstein she took the first photo shoot of the products she created the Instagram account posted the first thing wrote what it what it was and how it worked and then like two days later, we couldn't keep up with demand. It was, it was so crazy to go from just nothing for like three years, not to mention all the sort of weekends and nights before that, to instantly out of capacity and having like those problems to solve. Um, those are way more fun problems to solve than the sort of nobody cares problem. Um, but we were, we were all in on chapbooks very quickly. But I'm so glad that. that you brought up Heather because if you've listened to this story, like where, when did things actually start happening? Oh boy. When, I, when I gave my idea, when I spoke up, um, and then actually when Heather came on, because at, at that point in our company, we were basically printing just Instagram accounts, and it was Heather who was like, well, shouldn't Chatbooks have an Instagram account? I think what Vanessa is <laughs> saying is there were me plus four guys, and we got nowhere for three years. And then Vanessa had a great idea, and we brought on Heather, and then we were off to the races. I, I, there is a thread in there somewhere. Uh, and you know, to this day, 95% of our customers are women. And yeah, we were just absolutely missing it completely. You know, me and five, you know, me and four or five guys. So was the first chat books like printed just at a, on a home printer? Because that would be my first question: is how do you print books? Actually, Alpha graphics. This is like the weird things that I think have to come together for something to work. A really good friend of mine from business school uh, is a serial entrepreneur, an incredibly creative, um, great, great entrepreneur investor, JD Gardner. He had bought a print shop here in Utah and had built kind of a web front end to it and was building sort of a print-as-a-service kind of business. And I just knew about that. So I checked in with JD when we got out here to Utah. Another really good friend of mine from business school was working with him. And so I just called the two of them up. I'm like, you, like Vanessa wants to print her Instagram. Could we figure out how to do that? Like, can you guys print a book? And they're like, yeah, we could print a book. And so I just drove down to South Provo. It was called Zen Print. And we had a prototype within a couple of days. And I mean, it was just crazy, crazy lucky that... JD and Dave happened to be, you know, have a print shop that could handle what we were trying to do. Very cool. And then the next problem, again, for a feeble-minded person like me, how to send it, right? So you're solving all of these problems, scaling, automating, all of that. And you guys were the first to, to do something like this, right? There was a company that had been on Shark Tank, like, kind of almost as we were starting Chatbooks, their episode was sort of, had just aired. And it was called Groovebook, and they were selling 
like a bundle of old school printed photos with a little cutout in the middle of the binding. And the cutout was kind of an insight for us too because the cutout allowed them to pass this flex test to let them ship it really cheaply. I had no idea what a flex test was or, you know, we didn't know any of that stuff, but we didn't want to have a notch in our book, but we, it, that led to the actual design of the first chapbook being 60 pages because it was a wide enough spine to be, you could print the title on the spine, which we thought was important for like organizing it. But it was also not so wide that it wouldn't pass the flex test if it was six inches wide. So like, and it happened to be you could print two of those on a sheet of printer paper with the kind of printer that JD had. So it was just a whole bunch of like random little brainstorming like that with, you know, my buddy and uh, some of the people that worked for him down at, at his print shop. It was kind of how we went from Vanessa's insight, which is I don't want to use any software. I don't want to do anything. Just give me my books and don't make me make them to what we actually started, you know, printing and shipping um, after that. But Groovebook was a very different product. It was basically like a perforated pad of your photos. Yeah. You would connect it to your camera roll and it would just print your photos and the idea was you'd then use those in your scrapbook or in a frame or for a craft project. And the product that we were building was very different. It was meant to be like something that you would keep forever and, and you would display on your shelves. Um, we did, though, as we were starting, we had no money because we'd spent all of our money on Folk Story and Just Family and all the other iterations. Um, and I, you know, when I joined the team, like, with an official, like, role as part of the team member, which never was a plan. I did not want to do that. My youngest was going to kindergarten. I was finally going to have my life to myself. But it was obvious that he needed my help or just my insight just as, an, as a customer. Um, and so I, with Heather, we took on marketing. Um, I thought being on Shark Tank was going to be the answer for us. Like that was going to be the way we were going to make a splash. And we got through all of the screenings and the, we were getting ready to fly to LA when they called to say, nah, too much like Groovebook. And then I was like, I had no idea how we were going to survive after that because that was going to be our shot. But actually sang an opera aria in our Shark Tank um, audition tape which I think is what got us through a couple rounds, but we didn't make it all the way. I was too boring, probably. Well, it sounds like they're a loss, <laughs> right? Um, with your background, Nate, of you know, McKinsey and HBS, um, at some point you're going to check and see if it's a viable business with margins, gross margins, all of that. When did that start to Man. weave in? We were so, I think I was so excited that we actually had customers that wanted the thing that we'd figured out how to make that I wasn't really worried for a while about how is this actually going to like, you know, make margins that we need to. My original profit target was make a buck a book. So we were selling the books for six bucks with free shipping, and after all the other costs and whatnot we had, we were making a buck. But then we were taking that buck and giving it away in like a first book free promotion. If you, so anyway, long story short, I wasn't very focused on you know, how it was going to work at the beginning. We were just so happy to have, like, a chart that was going up and to the right. But one of our strategies was to have a price so low that people would talk about it. Yeah. Like, again, we didn't have money to buy a lot of advertising or anything, so we were like, let's price this so that people can't help themselves but talk about it. And that did work, definitely. Yeah, it did, for sure. And who are your early adopters and, like, your, your best sales channels? Mormon millennial moms. Yeah, and before... It was the 3M strategy. And before influencing was really a job, like there, here we are living in Utah and I, I had a couple sisters that lived here and they were plugged in very much to some women who had big followings and I knew they'd been using Instagram for a long time and so we just started printing their books. In fact, Nate 
um, hand-delivered a stack of Alison Faulkner's books from The Alison Show to her house with a box of donuts. And, you know, people who had just been using Instagram... It wasn't. It was Provo Bakery cookies. I knew that she oh, liked it was those. Provo Bakery. So I had a I had a stack of Allison's books in in one hand and a plate of Provo Bakery cookies in the other. And I'd driven down to try to find her house, and I didn't have the exact address, but there was a giant pink flamingo on one of the on little porches in in South Provo. And I'm like, it has to he be knew that, that one. Was it. So I just kicked on the door, and then she opened. I'm like, will you please like. So she holding did. your photos in your hands First 10, was a followers was from that for people. And like for Allison, she just went bonkers. She was so thrilled and just shared about it. We didn't have to pay her. I mean, we bought the books, but, um, but and the cookies. Like, I think that's another one of these things. Like, how does a company get started? You have to have all these weird things align, and then you have to have lucky breaks, and then you have to have really nice people who just want to do something to help you. And, you know, Allison, Susan Peterson from Freshly Picked, we're definitely not a company. Like, we don't get off the ground without those two. And they did it for free because they just, I don't know, wanted to help us. Very cool. So um, startups, they, uh, they can die for bad decisions, bad timing, bad luck. But they can also die with, like, success, right? Like, if they scale too big and then can't deliver. Um, it sounds like the, thing, you're, the breaks were going in your way for, you know, four or five years. Not in a good way. Now they are. Um, things are picking up. How did you guys start to deal with like the scalability and staying ahead of the curve? We hired Dan Jimenez because <laughs> I was starting to drown. Actually, you're, you're right. It was all of a sudden I was like, wow, I can't keep up with this because it was, it was me and a bunch of people writing code and Vanessa and Heather, you know, make with marketing efforts, but there wasn't anyone else sort of helping me keep, keep a handle on the business. And so I actually ended up calling one of our investors saying, I desperately need, this is like before Hamilton, but I even said, I desperately need a right hand. I think I said, man. You were thinking of Star Trek Next Generation. I was, that's true. I wanted Riker. I don't know if anyone else is a fan, but I needed number one and actually called Dan number one for the first two years. And I made him step over the chairs when he walked into a room in a weird way like Riker does for anyone who's nerdy enough to know. Um, So I think it does come back down to more, you know, another, it, it is a people thing. So I was... I was, you know, doing the accounting. I was trying to keep track of are we going to be able to pay that bill and pay everyone's salary. And I know a bunch of money's coming in, but we're using it in promotions. And um, so I was starting to crack a little bit. And this amazing guy, Dan Jimenez, who happened to come to our house that night. Again, another kind of weird. No, we were hosting uh, something from uh, BYU MBA. They have like these firesides, and we were hosting it. Fireside chat. Yeah. I cried during the fireside chat. And somehow I'd made eye contact with Dan, and then he started working for us like the next week. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. The other part of our business that was very obvious that we couldn't continue in growing was Nate and I doing customer support on our phones at night in bed. That's for- actually a pretty funny story. Are you going to tell the Subway Josh story? I hope Subway no, Josh no, no, you, is somehow you tell, you tell the story. You go. Well, we were like, again, like Vanessa was saying, oh, you're tell the, you tell the elf story. Okay, anyway, she's right. We were trying to do all the customer support. We couldn't keep up. Um, one guy was doing customer support. He would always walk down the Provo River Trail to Subway for, for um, lunch because there was a girl down there he was trying to ask out. And I said, Fonz, don't come back here without someone else who can answer customer support tickets. Like, ask the girl or ask somebody. I don't care, but don't, do not come back alone. And he came back with Josh, who was a, a sandwich artist from Subway. And we sat him down, and he started answering customer support tickets, and we called him Subway Josh. That was his name. 
But as you can imagine, like Nate already said, our customers are women and Josh and the Fonz were answering the tickets. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to do this. We, our customers are people. Like if they had have a bad experience, that is not going to help our business grow. Those guys were trying hard, Vanessa. Um, Josh and the Fonz were well, trying we hard. Well, we eventually let... I don't know. Did Josh, did he do anything other than customer support? Did he go? Oh, no, because he broke his yeah. arm on the... Unfortunately, Subway Josh broke his arm on a Chatbooks uh, mountain biking... Team building. Team building activity. It did not. And so that was the end of his customer support career. <laughs> no, but the, we did have this idea, another business that Nate had been building that was a subsidiary of JetBlue, you, uses a, a customer support model that's mostly stay-at-home you know, moms. I mean, it's, it's a fully remote workforce. And... Knowing a little bit about that, we decided to build our customer support model with starting with customers because we started to get people inbound, like customers saying, I am obsessed with what you're doing. I would love to be a part of it. And we would even see people answering questions in the, in the comments of our Instagram posts that we weren't keeping up with. And we would just DM them and say, hey, we, can we pay you to do that like all the time? And that's how the first bunch of our customer support troopers were found. Yeah. It's kind of wild. You're uh, building the team through poaching talent from Subway crying in public gotta be scrappy and delivering cookies whatever it takes you know um how big's the team now we're about a i just counted this up yesterday um uh, you guess how much would you say it is i thought the last number i saw was 173 it's really close it's like 162 all right i i assume based on knowing you a little bit in this conversation this is a big part of what you guys want as a company a great team um did you have philosophies going in? Have you learned as you went? How do, have you guys built your team and what's important? I had to ask you twice last week, what is the phrase that we, we use, that we use that I can't remember about what people want to be a... Respected res- member. Of a... Winning team. Winning team doing meaningful work. There it is. Where did you get that framework? I got that from Joel Peterson. Uh, and Peterson Capital is one of our... Um, first investors, Ben Capel uh, at Peterson Cap- Capital, in particular, Peterson Ventures led the investment. But Joel Peterson was the chairman of JetBlue, and I'd been, a, I'd been you know, connected to him in that second company Vanessa mentioned. Um, and that's, that's kind of his formula. He said, if, if people can feel like a respected member of a winning team doing meaningful work, you know, they're going to show up and give you their best work. And so we did talk about that a lot and, and continue to talk about that as we try to bigger, build our, our culture. And the meaningful work is the mission that we have just been talking about since day one, and that is to strengthen families. And um, it's like painted on the wall in our office. It, it's why photo books matter, because I know that they strengthen families. Um, so that our products are, are fulfilling our mission, but we also knew that we needed everything about our culture and everything that we do with our teams and how we develop has to also strengthen families. And, you know, he been starting software businesses since business school um and before that was mckinsey which you know we just never saw him he was just working so hard great experience and great education but it was not family friendly i did not feel like his work supported the family um he was lucky he had me to to support him and we had a bigger vision for our life but now we were in this at this moment where we were building a business together at this part of our life where our kids, you know, our oldest had just gone to college, our youngest was finally in kindergarten, and we wanted to build a business that also strengthened families. And so um, I think part of why our team feels like respected members is how, how we treat them. And, you know, our culture has changed over the years. We had a dramatic shift um, during COVID when we went from a mostly in-person, face-to-face working to a fully remote team. Um, but 
I don't know. Talk more about that. No, I think Vanessa's got it. And it doesn't mean that we do. So we, we, we were recognized, was it two years ago, as the best place in America to work, best place in America to work for women, for small and medium-sized businesses, which we felt great about. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I thought that is awesome. And it, it was definitely a goal when we started building the businesses because I knew how important women on our team were going to be. And I wanted to attract women, but I also wanted it for the guys. Like I, this wasn't, this isn't just for women, but like when women are winning, everyone's winning. Um, but some of the things that helped us, you know, achieve recognition like that were, um, you know, the way, just how flexible we are in general with our team members and the values that Chatbooks embodies and that we constantly refer to when we hire and when we coach. And, uh, one of them is being a grown up, which is, um, my favorite value, and in fact, when we when we have like our team building stuff, it comes out that the grown up is a favorite value. Um, and a funny story about that: when we first started working, we had a little shared office space in Provo Riverwoods, and it was me and Heather sometimes, and then the rest of the guys. And I remember every time I'd go into that bathroom, there was no toilet paper, and I'm like, uh-uh. We are grown-ups, okay? This is what happens at my house. Like, mama is not going to replace the toilet paper. So I remember thinking when we were, like, codifying our values, grown-up was up there because I'm, I'm not cleaning up after you. I'm not replacing the toilet paper. Um, but it's bigger than that, obviously, and the way we treat each other and the respect and the understanding. Um, we talk about having uh, our full-time employees giving eight amazing hours at work, and um, especially now that we're fully remote and we're dispersed across the country, um, those hours are going to look different, and there are norms, especially with teams, on how we how are we going to work together the best. But having um, a, that grown-up value and understanding that's you know I'm going to have to step out for a little while because I'm going to go um, help with the art project at the school, or I'm going to go help coach you know this bas baseball game or whatever. That supports families, men and women, and I think you're better able to bring your best self to work um, when you feel like you're doing a good job at home too. Yeah, very cool. A lot of businesses are complex, but every once in a while you'll see a business be like, oh, that's easy, right? And this might be an example. I could be wrong. I'll get to the question in a second. But uh, you guys print Instagram photos, right? If somebody was asked about chat books and they didn't work for it, weren't founders, that might be what they say. I remember looking at an old photo album with my cousin, and uh, parents had been divorced, and they had cut the head out of uh, the person that had gotten divorced, right? That was how you edited in the 80s, right? But um, that would, that's a problem for, to solve, theoretically, in your guys' business model, right? And, and uh, you know, you're talking about customer support. And I'm like, what would they need support on, right? Like, they're obviously, this is going to work. Um, the question after that is, how do you guys decide on new products, new features, and how much problem solving goes into that? Well, just asking, if, if, are you asking what does customer support do? Like if it's so automated and easy? Okay, that was the second question. Yeah, like the first question is some people um, want to know when their book is. That's our number one question. It's like, when is my book going to get here? So, Which you think we could probably solve with a better software interface and an integration to our, you know, so. Yeah, but part of the problem is we were trying to do it for, we were trying to give the lowest price that we hired the cheapest service that didn't give us any tracking. But That's true. It, that has gotten better. And. Spoiler alert, our prices have been going up. But, you know, what isn't more expensive right now? Um, no, but the second part of your question I think is really important because when we were, when we were building <laughs> Just Family and Folk Story, when he was building that, um, 
there were so many features. Like, it was amazing. You could do anything. And it was just this temptation that when you talk to people and they're like, oh, but what about this? Can I have this? And then just adding like more and more and more features. So to get anything done, you have to lean so far forward and do so much. And there's so much friction that when we decided that we were pivoting to do like print my Instagram, which is what we were, we started off doing in chatbooks, you wrote something on the top of the whiteboard. Lizard books. What do they write? Lizard brain. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's a really good. Another like entrepreneurial trap I think is easy to fall into, at least that I fell into over and over again, was in those uncomfortable conversations where you're showing people your, the thing you built and they're saying, that's really cool, I should totally do that. The other thing that I think they, they say to try to get out of that uncomfortable conversation where like, I will never use this in the back of their mind, is they're like, man, could you do this? Or like, they kind of want to give you ideas for features. And I was so desperate, I'm like, well man, maybe if we add that thing, then everyone will do it. So I think that's an easy trap to fall into of just like glomming on a thousand features from all these failed customer you know, feedback uh, interactions you have. And what we ended up, all that kind of gave me enough, I think, battle scar tissue to when we finally did pivot to Vanessa's idea, we were gonna just slam it all the way to the other side. And there are no choices and there are no configuration options. And it is just this and that's all it is. Um, and we've, you know, we stayed, I think, really true to that for a few years. And have, you know, since we're falling into that trap that ends up with the you know, Microsoft Word ribbon with like 18,000 different icons you can use to format your Word document. So I think it's really hard, on, just ongoing challenge for an entrepreneur is to know what, what kind of signal or feedback to react to and then have a filter to say, yeah, but that's not us. So we did, really, we did a great job in the early days. People would write in, hey, can I get a bigger book? No. Um, and we would actually say in customer support, no, but Shutterfly sells a lot of those kind of things. You could look at Shutterfly. And um, so I think there's some kind of really difficult balance to say, yes, we're going to add that feature, but every single feature you add just kind of adds a barnacle to the ship and it just flows through the water a little less quickly. So for us, we tried to use this filter of beyond easy, super affordable, great quality and amazing service. You know, could we provide those four things? And the beyond easy filter was the number one. Meaning, could Vanessa just say, I want to print my Instagram, download our app, tap things like three times, and they would show up at her mailbox. Um, we're definitely not there right now. It's like a constant process of having to kind of haul the boat out of the water and scrape all the barnacles off of it and then slide it back in. I think we're like mid-scrape right now, actually. And you know, if you look at chapbooks today, it, it's got too many barnacles again. Um, but something like that. Some kind of good filter to say, like, we're not going to do that. Of uh, what you currently have, the barnacles that aren't going to get scraped off, which uh, is the most popular day-to-day? -day? I know. Well, so it was really exciting to have all of these new customers come with a backlog of photos that they had shared to Instagram and be able to put a big order and then have this ongoing subscription, right? That's why, how we became the first subscription photo book company. But it became really clear to me as, um, honestly, when I, because I, I turned my Instagram profile public because I was talking a lot about it chapbooks and I wanted people to see it and I, I realized I'm posting fewer pictures to Instagram and now look at it today it's not the personal like place it's a it's like a shopping mall like there's just tons of ads it's just changed a lot but we knew really early on that we've got this growing business but what if Instagram shuts us off or you know what if behavior changes so we were talking about and trying to figure out what does it look like to create super easy and affordable photo books for people not on Instagram and that's like a whole nother conversation about like 
early adopting machine learning to help curate people's photo books. They weren't ready for it. We spent a lot of money on building what we called Roxy. You know, the auto... That's my brilliant French bulldog's name. No, no, no. She's not smart. That's the irony of the whole thing. It actually is but pretty funny. It didn't work. I think we're now in a place where I think people are more comfortable with it and we have like a better way to use it. And, and we actually do use some of the stuff, that, the code that we wrote for that now to help with some other parts of the photo book making process. But um, yeah, we had to break out of the, this is what the book looks like, we're not changing anything. And Month Books is a, now a monthly subscription where 30 photos from your camera roll, um, instead of being square, it is like a five by seven. Because That's because people's photo taking methods change. You know, you see, everyone used to turn their phone like this and, crop, and then you used to crop it square for Instagram. And now like 70% of photos that, that we see come through and are actually you know portrait photos or someone was ready to do an Instagram story or they took the picture this way so they could share it on Instagram stories so the even the shape of the book sort of changed over over time but I, I just asked this question uh, we print 7,000 books a day and 80% of them are are one of these subscription type photo books very cool that helps with like the cash flow model right um, I was asking uh, one of our interns, Lulu's your niece, coincidentally. Yes. What else do they do? And she said, hey fam. So is this an example of product and how did that bubble up? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? What was the initial, um, is this my way of trying to get my kids to answer my texts? <laughs> it is a family group messaging service <laughs> app. And it feeds your chat books. Like, yeah. The idea is it's going to be the easiest and funnest way to get everybody's photos into your chat book. So if you're sharing photos on HeyFam instead of texting them to somebody, then mom can really easily go to her HeyFam source and pick photos that not only you know, have the kids in them, but might have been taken by one of the kids. So that's the idea behind HeyFam. Very cool. So it's a hack on my um, idiot version of sending a picture to my mom of what her grandkids are doing, knowing that she'll print chat books. Right. It just makes it a little bit easier for A little mom. bit easier. Yeah. Okay. As long as it's still easy for me. Perfect. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right. So in the early days, um, you're wearing all, all of the hats. You're married. And uh, I'm interested in, did you talk about chat books 24-7? Were there rules of, like, you know, I can't talk about it for one more second. Um, how did that work for you guys, just you two? You're the only ones that could experience that. I'm curious your answer, okay. though. My, the real answer is that I used to be the one working till midnight with this, with this crazy job and consulting and all that stuff. And I would have to have like, okay, and I was in a startup, I gotta close the laptop, not be working now. Vanessa became the will never close the laptop in bed person uh, within like a month of being on Team Chatbooks. And she's like Googling how to get PR for your company. And I'm like, can we stop for a second? Well, I still had children and I was taking care of also, so, so was I was burning the yeah. candle at both ends. But I will say there was a moment where um, we were out to dinner somewhere in Provo, and I remember thinking, we're on a date, we shouldn't be talking about work. And we were both kind of like skirting around, like talking about random stuff. And then all of a sudden, we just let it go. And we had our phones out. I remember because we had our phones out. And I, you know, I didn't want to be with those couples that are on a date and they're looking at their phones. But we were, we were working and we were so excited. And someone recognized us and came up and they were like, hey, are you the chapbooks people? And we were, I was like proud, but then also embarrassed, but then also, yes, and we love it so much and it's so fun and we were obsessed and we're so excited. And that was, 
that was fun and new and novel for me. He always wanted to start a business together. And there were many times throughout our marriage where he would be like, if we could do anything together, any business, what would it be? And I'm like, none, none business. I'm not interested. Win the lottery. Um, <laughs> I mean, for a lot of reasons, but like I'm a singer. I am a trained opera singer. I don't have any experience in business. Um, I had other things that I was always thinking about, but also I didn't know how we could both work together because I'm pretty much the boss of my world. He's always been the boss of his world. Um, but when we found ourselves in this position where we're building it in a company that we're really excited about, solving a problem that our family had that was blessing other families, we were like so excited about the mission, and it was just this new territory. We got to go on business trips together. Day dates is what we would call, like sometimes working together, it felt like a date. Um, but I also developed a lot of um, new found respect for what he'd been doing in his career all up to that point. Because, um, you know, with seven kids, little kids at home, like I didn't really care what he was doing, I just want you to come home and start helping with bath time or whatever. And to be there then in the, in like, pitch meetings, trying to raise money and like laying in bed at night, thinking about all of the hard things and the team dynamics and everything. Like I was just like, how, how did you do this? And like, I'm so glad we're doing it together. So it's been a huge blessing to our marriage, but I think also for our family, for our kids, because having mom working full time, you know, it, it looks different at home and I don't volunteer in the classroom as much as I did. And I don't have any guilt about that because I think what they are seeing us do together is really powerful, but they also have ownership in what we're doing because there's like sacrifices are being made. So the fact that I'm no longer art mom for, you know, the elementary school, like, yeah, that's a bummer, but look what we're investing in. And so they feel that ownership. And I just think it's been a huge blessing for our whole family. We, we, rather than trying to deal with the sort of balance and don't talk about it at dinner and Vanessa's on her laptop and in bed and whatnot, we just called it the family farm. I don't think like my, you know, Aunt Clara and Uncle Bryant, like we're spending a lot of time talking about balancing, you know, personal life and work life. They were just like milking the cows three times a day and all that other stuff. So we just said, hey, this is our family farm. And it, my dad talks a lot about work-life integration instead of work-life balance. And um, our little code word for that is family farm. And we just don't worry about it. Very good insights there. I'll come home certain days, and my wife will say, you look like garbage. I'm like, well, Slope Summit's not going to plan itself. And then I'll come home and be like, this house looks like garbage. She's like, well, then you can take care of it. But um, it would be good to, like, have her come and work a week here. And then I could go do that for a week, and then we'd be a lot more compassionate. Interesting. Uh, last question, and then we'll open it up for audience here. Um, with what you guys are doing, there's probably a lot of opportunities for partnerships, some good, some bad. You guys have one with the, the jazz that I know of, and you may have dozens, if not hundreds of others, but the, the merit of partnerships, how they come together, and ultimately the value add. The jazz partnership's been a lot of fun, and it's been great for our team. Uh, the jazz are an amazing organization. Ryan and Ashley Smith are just incredible entrepreneurs, incredible Utahns, and you know, just amazing leaders. Um, it's hard to know, like, you know, the penny we put in there, did we get three pennies back? Like, mm, probably hard to figure that out, really. So I think um, on partnerships like that where it's going to be kind of difficult to measure the impact, you have to decide on, like, a higher level of this is just part of being part of the Utah community where we're headquartered in some ways. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. to We have a picture with the Jazz Bear um, on center court, 
And we, you know, it's really fun to be at the game and see the little Chatbooks logo spinning around the LEDs, see Chatty and Bookie, our two mascots, like dancing around and whatnot. Um, but I think some of the partnerships are, are difficult to measure. And another one, for example, is HP. We've been working, you know, pretty hard with HP for like three and a half years now. And um, I don't really know what we've gotten out of it. Like we might get something great out of it. And so there's just sort of like some of the swings you just take because you got to be taking swings. And maybe you'll connect. And HP has so much scale that it's possible that it could completely change you know, the future of chapbooks and the direction of chapbooks. It's also possible that nothing will happen. Like we're on our third executive sponsor at, at HP because the other two have been fired. Um, if, everyone, if anyone thought like, well, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. It's too scary. I'm just going to join a big company because that's stable. Like you've not spent a lot of time working with big companies yet. Because the, especially at the sort of middle to mid-upper management level, there's a lot of... A lot of churn. So anyway, um, I think partnerships, you have to kind of just spend the right amount of budget on it. And you might, it's like the amount of budget that you would like, you know, buy crypto with. You know, it's like this can go to zero and it's going to be okay. It might go to a zillion and that'd be cool. But it, anyway, that's my take on partnerships. I think it what depends think? on the partnership. And I agree with what you're saying on both of those. But we have a partnership with a designer, Rifle Paper Company, that has been huge for us. It's been really good for them. It's been really great for us. And so it just, it just depends. Yeah, so it's like just some. I mean, I, I, think, I, do, I do think there are, there's the danger of like betting the company on this partnership's going to work. I think that's dangerous. You've got to kind of be able to stand on your own feet. And then the partnership thing is like, I can spend this amount of time and effort and brain cells on the possibility or the potential that this thing could, could be great. But if, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be nothing, too. Ben Capel from Peterson Ventures uh, had a good saying for me one time on partnership. He's like, often a long driveway to a really small house. And um, I think most of the partnerships that we've been involved in are kind of feel long driveway-ish. Rifle Paper Company is a great example that kind of, you know, the rule, exception makes a rule. Yeah, something like that. Cool. All right, let's open it up to questions from the audience. We have a microphone roaming around. Don't be shy. Right there. My curiosity is around your relationship. You seem to have a great relationship. Can you hear me now? No? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'd be curious to know, you know, what, I'm sure there were really hard times where you thought, is this destroying us? And maybe high times where you're like, this is making us amazing in our relationship. How did you get through that? How did you manage those highs and, and lows? I'm, I'm assuming there were highs and lows just because there are usually I'll start by saying, I'm an, an eternal optimist. I did pageants when I was in college, and that was one of my sayings. I am an eternal optimist. Um, it's true. I am. And, you know, he's very smart. I would say through all the years of startups that he started and was running, I mean, there were times where I, because I do the family finances, I would see things that I shouldn't be optimistic about, but I believed in him. Um, and I also believed in our families. Like, I would think our parents will not let us live on the streets. My like, mom is here. Us... My mom is why Vanessa was able to Seriously, Bonnie, I thought of disasters. you in the dark nights. I was like, the let us live with them. <laughs> um, but no, I believe, I believed in him. And so I, in those dark nights, I'm like, he'll figure it out. Like he's not going to give up. And he's the most loyal, hardworking. Like I just, I, I didn't worry about that. I also, success for me is not like being a billionaire. So I don't, I just want to have a my happy family, be able to feed my family and be able to have a warm place to hunker down at night. <laughs> I mean, that literally was the bar for me. And so for me, that's how I was able to get through it. Now, 
you know, moving our family to Utah, that was a massive sacrifice for me. And having a business that wasn't working and a child going to college and like pressure was mounting. Um, again, I was fully confident that he was going to figure this out. I didn't know we would be figuring it out together. But as we walked in here today, we both said, I'm so glad we we're doing this together because it's been so good for us. And who knows if we make any money in the end of it, like literally with the world the way it is today, like tomorrow, everything could blow up and it's over. Um, but that's okay because we're still good. I love that. Um, I think, uh, it's been great for us to, to, to build the business together. I think it's because we had, a, we were lucky enough to have a great relationship before we started trying to build the business together. So I do think it's a little bit like money, money kind of like amplifies whatever personality you already had. And I think the same thing is happening with our work together as a couple more often. It's just kind of amplifying what we already had. So I think we've been really lucky that way. If our relationship was rocky, I, it would be a nightmare to be uh, business partners together. But because we were, we liked each other, uh, we like each other more. It's good when that works out. You talked about the, the filters, right? And, and when you're coming up with new features, you also talked about the opportunities and like HP, you may get something out of it, you may not get something out of it. How do you balance that decision making with spending time and effort and money into HP versus those other four filters? This one's real because I'm just like every day I feel like, should we do this next thing they asked us to do or not? You know, so it's, it's, it's not a hypothetical. Um, I think the best way, I think if I'm thinking through like how have we been making these yes or no decisions on, on HP, for example, um, I feel like you get the, you kind of earn the right to take some bets if the core business is healthy enough. And so if we have enough resources to be working on the core aspects of the business that need either maintaining or improving, and we have a little bit of brain cell left over, you know, one or two people that we can kind of safely peel off from that effort and not feel like we're starving that effort from, for in, in some way, then I think you kind of can do it. So I, I maybe, maybe partnerships, new products, new markets are kind of like earned privileges. And, um, and for example, we really wanted to take chapbooks to France this year. We were going to, you know, localize in the French language, find a French printer. We found the printer, found the ad agency we were going to work with, but the actual core business just wasn't sort of perfect enough. And we're, you know, I was talking about those barnacles, we're scraping off a few barnacles. And so we punted that one to next year, um, which is hard for me because, you know, we love France. We wanted to go to France. I think it's a great business opportunity. Um, it's the size of the market is perfect. It would open up Europe. It would increase our TAM by really proving we could do more than just sell in the English language. So there's lots of good strategic reasons to want to do it, but we just weren't ready, uh, I don't think, because we're just too much hammering and sign and scraping going on here in our core market. And I hope we can earn the right to kind of take that, you know, to take that flyer next year. Something like that, maybe. Yeah. Two quick questions. Um, one is, um, and I don't know if the numbers are still the same, but um, a dollar profit per book yeah. is very different than like selling Lamborghinis and you have to sell a lot of books to make that work. So the first question is, um, how do you deal with that challenge? Because it seems like you've been successful doing that. Um, the second question is, um, Peter Thiel will say that, you know, businesses naturally want to be quasi-monopolies. And the more you can push away competition and protect yourself, um, the better. I'm just curious about how you do that, because printing things that are on Instabook, uh, Instagram is not technologically that difficult. So right. you're going to need your secret sauce or something like that. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah, I love both of those questions. So the buck a book, one of the ways to think about a buck a book in the early days was um, the buck of profit a book target. 
and the $6 price point for a 60-page, 6 by 6 book, you can kind of get where I'm going with this. That just was the marketing. We didn't have another million dollars to spend as a marketing budget, so the product itself and the user's experience receiving it, that was our marketing effort, thinking they would get it and say, whoa, that was so easy and it's so affordable, beyond easy, super affordable, I'm gonna go tell my 10 friends. So in that first year of, of launching Chatbooks as the Instagram photo book series at six bucks a book, it was like all four P's of marketing were rolled up in the actual thing in the mailbox. And we didn't really have another marketing budget beyond that. So today we make you know 60% gross margins. You know, we don't make a buck a book anymore. But we also have a you know, 15 or $16 million marketing budget. Um, so we have to solve both of the same problems. We're just doing it a little bit differently now. Um, and then on the, on the monopoly question, I, I, I really think that's great. It would be, I think the, you, can all, you also can kind of have a monopoly in a market or a monopoly in a customer focus or something like that. So we, and we don't have a monopoly. I mean, our life would be probably easier if, it, if we did. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think we, we don't compete with Shutterfly and Google and Amazon in every single sort of decision, uh, mental decision that a customer makes. And, and basically, Vanessa's efforts to build our brand and our community and focus specifically on the needs of, of moms serving families and families finding, you know, chapbooks as the answer to their family memories. I think we have a bit more of a monopoly or at least a competitive edge there because we're speaking specifically to her about the things that matter to her and her husband. Um, and Google is just selling photo books. And Amazon's selling photo books. And Shutterfly's selling photo books at 50% off. I hate Shutterfly. Um, so maybe there's something there. Like, yeah, we're not the only people in the world selling photo books, but we're so focused on how, you know, mom makes that decision and why she's making it, and we're speaking to her in a way that's different from how our competitors are speaking to her. And our customer support, customer success is a big part of that. We talk about that as one of our moats, and so we really invest in that. Hi, so this question is for you, Vanessa. I think that there's a lot more women that are looking to start companies more than ever. What would be a couple of your tips there for women that want to take the plunge? I remember really clearly the first time that I was invited to come and talk about the business on a, it was something at UVU, and I was so scared because I kept saying, I am not an entrepreneur. I do not know what I'm doing. I cannot go. And Nate said to me, there is not one right way to be an entrepreneur. You are the perfect entrepreneur for our business. And that really resonated with me. And I, I carry it with me. I mean, as I walked in here, I thought about that thing because I, I looked very different than my friend and mentor, Susan Peterson. She's an incredible entrepreneur. Um, but all of the experiences that I had in my life as a singer, as an actress, as a mother, all of those things help me problem solve in a unique and different way. Now, that being said, there are a lot of things that I don't know. And so I'm grateful that my partner, you know, has an MBA and has the experience that he has. Um, but if you don't have a business partner with that, with perfect complementary skills, um, I would say find, find people who can answer those questions for you. Like just talk to as many people as you can. I also think that like often entrepreneurs are afraid to share their idea because they're afraid it's going to get stolen. But I say, get as many people's take on it, you know, really filter out for, the naysayers and like, but also be open to listen to really constructive. That's a really tricky skill. I don't, I don't really know what the secret is to know, like what to listen to or what not to, but I would say, take it all in, get as much as information as you can, and then reach out to mentors and people to help. 
So on the marketing side of things, obviously a lot of people purchase products through social media. Um, so how much of your guys' focus and marketing budget is targeted towards social media and influencers? Most. <laughs> Well, can I just say one of the things that when we talked about luck, and there are we will acknowledge that we just got lucky at certain points of time in our business, and one of those was a, a video that we did with the Harmon brothers, and um, that was and that was I considered that a partnership. They have actually considered it a partnership. It was a lot of money, and um, it was a big swing, and it was a long form video that we put on Facebook, and gratefully that algorithm for Facebook was favoring long-form video. It was really incredible content with my friend Lisa as the actress basically playing me as a real mom. Um, and that video was incredible. And so that was the first time that we had some content that we believed in that was converting, that we just let run organically for a long time. And then we started putting money behind. And so that, um, that was the beginning of uh, for us. And it, our business grew so much that we were able to, to invest more and more. Um, it is a challenge right now because our CAC has gone from the lowest it's been has been like 17 to now it's like 70. It's, it's insane. So um, we're definitely still, there's a portion of our you know, budget that is going to that, trying to get more creative um, on the creative. But then also the influencer part, you mentioned the influencer, it was such an integral part of starting our business, but the influencer industry has changed a lot. And um, I tried navigating that. We tried navigating that in-house for a while, and that was really um, hard for me. And um, we landed on a hard for me just because it's so personal, right? Like I, I start to feel like these people are my friends, but this is business, and I don't really know if this is a good deal for us. And so hiring an agency has been really important to us. I don't really even know what the percentage is on exactly what we're spending on. Ben is the agency we use for our influencer marketing. But... Um, we have started something in-house called our ambassador program, which I actually don't run it, but it's, there are super power users who have a, a following. I think the sweet spot is like 1500 followers. Um, you get like 15 million followers and like people don't really do, they're just watching and they want to come in and talk about whatever they want to talk about. They're not really doing what you tell them to do, but, uh, uh, mom with 1500, uh, yeah, 1500 followers who loves chapbooks and we send them some swag and we give them some incentives to post and some credit. Um, that program has grown a lot for us and it has been um, really successful. We're actually, the, the quality of the customer that they bring in, they have a longer lifetime value, they're, they're just better all around. So that's one of the ways that we're trying to like stop just giving all of our money to Facebook because I'm sick of that. And I will say, just whenever you think you've got the marketing mix figured out, just it will change like the next month. So I think we're just constantly solving that puzzle. Vanessa and I do the crossword every single night. We love solving puzzles. And so much of the business, and specifically marketing, is just like, okay, what's the new Saturday crossword? Saturdays are so brutal. Oh, my goodness. Like, we're not going to figure this out. But then we eventually do. Nate and Vanessa, um you guys are both extremely successful founders. Um, by, in my book, eight uh, successful startups. Uh, if you count the seven successful startups that you've incubated and have, have become all successful kind of in their own right. Um, so, so thank you for that. Thank you for what you do for the Utah ecosystem. Quick question about um, HeyFam. Can you talk a little bit about how that originated, how that's been going, and what lessons you've learned from that. Because 
you know, it's going kind of back, hey, let's build a software, let's build our own application, let's control the environment. Um, but, but what lessons have you guys learned from that aspect of the business so far? Thanks, Davis. Great to see you again. I feel like I'm, this is a little bit of a reunion. I'm seeing some fr- friendly faces I haven't seen in a while. Um, man, I'm glad you asked that question because we probably ought to go back and say, are we doing it again? Am I doing the, yeah, that's really cool. I should totally use that. But if it had this one other feature, like it'd be really, you know, and then I dipping out of the conversation. I think there's a real danger to just sort of never learning this hard lesson of until the person says, shut up, how do I log in? Like we don't have it. Um, and I think we're probably in the middle of that, of, you know, kind of maybe even the hay fam wilderness um, if we're being honest with ourselves. So that's a, I mean... We're still I'm going to walk new. out of we here, We haven't Dave, done thinking. our big PR push on HeyFam, guys. We, we have stuff to learn about that. But I think our instincts are right, and I think, um, I think the timing is right on that product. And but it's just tricky because it's a startup, and, man, startups are hard. I mean, it, like we were describing, all the weird alchemy that had to kind of happen to make chapbooks come off the ground. Um, it's just not in any way like you could replicate it, you know, and just start another one. Um, so I don't know. That's... Now I'm all scared, Dave. Thank you. Oh, you guys, it's so good to see you up there. This is just awesome. And you are so well-loved. Utah loves you guys, and you're incredible examples to so many of us. It's, it's just amazing. So thanks for being here. I wanted to bring up, I, I, and I'm a little biased, um, but I wanted to bring up how it's been working with investors. I, I'm part of a fund that's an investor in you guys, and I'm so grateful to watch what's happened. But how has it been working with investors and and the good, the bad, and the ugly? Well, I just, the first thing that popped in my mind, Nate mentioned that we wanted to expand to France and we had it all figured out. Dan, his right-hand man, was going to run the business here. We were going to take our family. We were going to live there. It was going to be amazing. And we started pitching our investors. And um, one of them just said, no, no. And that was hard. I'm a 50-year-old man. We're in year, like, you know, eight of this business. And one of our investors said, I really don't want you to do that. I think that's a stupid idea. I mean, he put some, some pleasantries around it. but that was It was hard to hear, but I'm so grateful. And we just had a board meeting this week. And as I looked around the table at, you know, our investors are in, on our board, I'm so grateful for their wisdom and for their they're being willing to be honest with us because we would have gone, like, and it would have been the absolute wrong, 100% wrong thing for us, timing-wise. So it's, it depends, though, on your investors, because I've heard nightmare stories, and I know you've had different experiences in investors and other businesses, but with Chapbooks, we've raised all of our money here in Utah. They've been incredibly supportive, and it's, for me, this is my only experience, and it's been great. Yeah, I agree. I do think when you're thinking about um, bringing on investors, you do want to remind yourself, I might work really closely with this person and have them influence important things in my life for the next 10 years as you decide, like, I want the money or not. Um, so we're, in, like Vanessa said, we're incredibly lucky. We have amazing investors at Chapbooks, and I really feel like, you know, investors and, and board members are some of my best friends uh, here in Utah. So we got really lucky that way. But they're not afraid to say, and yeah, you don't want to do that. You want, also want people who aren't just going to sort of say, Oh, you're the best, you know, rubber stamp, whatever you say. We, we, um, getting that, that board dynamic um, right is so amazing, if it, if it can happen. Cool. 
Uh, Vanessa, Nate, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fun and insightful and appreciate you uh, taking the time. Congrats on everything you've done. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.